DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. David Locke's weekly interview is brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. I know you like to talk David, about things other than... Yes. I have a question. I knew it. <laughs> I was just about to get to that. Go ahead. How many days have you done this show? No idea. 50 times right. 20, that would be 1,000, 20 years, 23 years, uh, 23,000 shows. There it is. Yeah, like, there's holidays, good. vacation. I'm not at 23,000, but probably over 20. I was feeling good about myself because I'm going to call my 1,000th jazz game here shortly. Nice. And then I, and so, you know, I was, you know, being, I don't know, PK, I don't know if you'll relate to this at all, but I was being like self-boastful. I don't know if you've ever done that, PK. If you're aware, like, I was feeling pretty good about my, I don't know if you've ever done that. So, and I realized when I was coming on with you this morning, wow, that's really like playing a hundred straight NBA games and then bragging to Ron Boone about it. (laughs) Nice. Nice. Yeah, I did. I did bad math there. I'm not a 20,000, David. I don't know why I said 50 times 20. That's the number of hours I've done. 20 hours in a week, five shows in a week. So uh, it looks like the number is a little over 5,000 probably. You do about 220 shows a year, right? 250 weekdays. PK takes like 80 days off, but I mean, you only take like 25. Right. Sure, we'll go with that. All right. Anyway. I just was, I was just, you know, fawning on your greatness. It's just a regular occurrence. We have Friday morning. Yeah, me too. For me, it's Monday through Thursday. I take Friday off. Well, it's because I do it for you. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Right. I mean, what did I say to somebody else? I'm really simple in life. I need chocolate chip cookies, attention, and skiing. And other than that, I'm good. That's a good combination. So I didn't. I, I know that with so many jazz players out, the normal stuff we talked to you about um, isn't really going to work because these games have been bizarro games, and they aren't going to matter when we get to the playoffs because if they have this lineup, then they're out in a heartbeat. And if they have that other lineup, then these games don't mean anything. So I did have other things I wanted to talk to you about today. And one, you're a big Stanford fan. George Klyavkov, the Pac-12 commissioner, is going to be on later in the show this morning. If you had one question for the commissioner, what would you ask him? You guys know way more than I do on this. I'm not sure I have a good answer. I mean, I think they have to diagnose the decline before they can figure out how to fix it. And so it's a hard question for him to answer because it's really criticizing the previous Pac-12 commissioner, but there has been a clear decline in play recognition status over the last 10 years. If it's a stock... There's no question what direction the Pac-12 stock has gone. If you're going to fix that, you better diagnose why it went that direction before. And I feel like that's what Larry never did, was he just simply kept kind of throwing spaghetti on the wall and knew this or knew that, but never would admit there was a problem. If you don't admit what's wrong, you can't fix it. So that would be the direction I would go with my question. Oh, yeah, very much so. Yeah, I mean, and that's the good thing about him is that he's willing to speak on the things that have not been up to par. And in order, I totally agree with you. 
Mr. Locke. Absolutely. A hundred percent. You have to figure out what the problem is in order to fix it. And you have to acknowledge it. And he's spoken at length about it. It's just a question of whether he can fix it, whether he can sway other conferences, because I think once that they can find a way to expand the playoff and at least get in, then you can go from there to see where you're at. The other one I do, I do think, and this is not his fault, but I have Holly and I have talked about this a little bit on the road this year. I, I actually think COVID restrictions impacted play of universities. So if you're in a particularly strict COVID state and your practices were more limited than if you were in a non-strict COVID state, I think it's had an impact on programs. All right, let's get to the Utah Jazz now and discuss uh, one or two things about the Jazz. We were talking about uh, Eric Paschal. And he's... I, have, I, have, I have actually one other note for you, by the way. That's the longest pause ever, David. <laughs> I know, but I just thought of it. All right, go ahead. <laughs> if, I was, if I was commissioner of the... The first job I would hire would be some sort of marketing director to train our schools on how to market their programs and themselves. Because I think a lot of our the schools in the conference are terrible at that. And in this day and age, the transfer portal, that's more important than ever before. Okay, there you go. We were discussing earlier in the show Eric Paschal, and clearly he's done some nice things on the court. And clearly... He will be uh, in the NBA on the Jazz roster, or I don't know if there's some big trade, maybe he could be in it. But he's going to be on somebody's roster. He can play in the NBA. He has proven that. But to get into the Jazz rotation, do you think he's done enough to get into the rotation permanently? What else does he have to do? Does it come down to somebody else being injured or traded to open a spot because of the way the roster is built? If you're looking for him to take the next step, what has to happen? So he has displayed a skill that is important that could get him on the floor. And that is an isolation game from 15 feet out uh, in which if he, actually big or small, but frankly, if you're playing a switching defense and they switch a smaller guard on him, he has shown a fabulous ability to overdrive, play isolation, overpower. It's actually back to his Fordham days. Before he was Villanova, he really almost played an isolation college kind of swing player, and he's brought that back. And he's a terrific rim finisher, even in traffic. He's about 71% at the rim. So in that circumstance, I think he could be valuable. The flip side, unfortunately, is he is a 30% three-point shooter. So if he's on the floor and you're not putting the ball in his hand, he's, he's clogging the rest of the offense up pretty considerably. And he's not really who you want as your number one option. So that gets a little bit of a delicate balancing act. Um, I think he's a stout defender and he brings some toughness. So again, in the one through five switching, I think he could be helpful in that circumstance. I mean, he did a pretty good job on Jokic earlier this week. Again, on the flip side, his defensive rebounding rate is like 11%, which is, if you way rebounding rate, if you equally distributed all 10 players on the floor, it'd be 10%. So he's not a good rebounder. He's 6'6". So I, you know, there's a little bit of a yin and a yang on him right now of what you're willing to get and what's going to, and whether the flip side is 
going to cause you any problems. When it comes to any acquisitions that they may make, is it hard not to get caught up in the moment? Not following. Sorry. So they're on this four-game losing streak here, and they've had oh, some okay. issues. And so, I don't. I, is it hard not to overreact? Yeah, I don't think so because this team. I actually think what this four-game losing streak has shown us is really how well put together the team is uh, to maximize what it can do, both as a front office and the coaching staff standpoint. Uh, the analogy I used on. And Scotty was we're a gorgeous crystal ball or we're a piece of glass art. And we're abs- when we're at whole, we're absolutely fabulous. The problem is that our glass is actually a little bit of a Jenga block. And if you pull one piece out, then the light doesn't reflect through it. It's not actually attractive. And it actually might collapse. And that's really what we have found out here. And I don't know that that's, like, so what? Like, if you took Jokic off the Nuggets, so would they. You take Steph off the Warriors, so would they. Like, you know, other than the Brooklyn Nets, you know, if you take Giannis off the Bucks for a long time, I think as good as Middleton and Holiday are, they're not carry. So I don't know if I think that's that big a deal. And I actually think it just shows how well put together and that the pieces, because the pieces of this puzzle or this piece, just when they're playing together, and they've all got pretty big warts when they're not. And so I think it's actually a sign of how well put together the team is. If we're healthy, we're a title contender. And if we're missing number 27, we're not very good. David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, joining us. The Grizzlies are on a magnificent run. 21 out of 25 now. And they have done it missing key players. John Morant was out for a while. Dylan Brooks is out now. So it's not like they've been whole and everybody else has had health issues and availability issues. So full credit for that. But does this translate to the Grizzlies making a deep playoff run? Or is this like the Jazz going on a run 20 out of 21 last year, but they're out in the second round? Acknowledging the second round is a step forward for the Grizzlies, and they should be pumped about it. Well... There's nobody in the first round that's going to feel comfortable about getting in the second round. Because there's a real chance that the four road teams in the second first round of the Western Conference playoffs are Dallas with Luka Doncic, Denver with Nikola Jokic, and Jamal Murray, the Clippers with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, and the Lakers with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Those are your four road teams. I'm not counting the second round for anyone. Um... In regards to Memphis, you've touched on it, DJ. They're just above average at every position, and then Jaws amazing, and Jared Jackson playing great. But they're so good at every they have, they're better than you in every position, or at least better than average in almost every position. And that's why, and it's really what we were last year too, when we are at full strength and we have our bench unit, and everyone's playing well, and that you know group of Mike and Jordan and Joe and. Uh, this year, Rudy Gay. Last year, um, was I don't remember who it was, but uh, yeah. George the and, uh, Playing great as a backup point guard. He's probably one of the five best backup point guards. Desmond Bain has become bona fide. What a steal he was. Uh, and then you kind of run through 
each of their Jaron Jackson, Stephen Adams. Like they're 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 really just they're crazy deep, and they're doing a nice job of playing some young kids that actually you know the one exception would be Zaire Williams out of Stanford. Not not very good yet. He's long. He's athletic, and he has a positive impact in his 12 minutes on the floor every night. So they're just it's Taylor Jenkins. Taylor Jenkins is one of the best coaches in the league. Like that. That's got to be tough. He's incredible. Well, you've been on then that the standings really matter in terms of matchups. If we're going to have all these guys come back, does that decrease the emphasis on the standings since you're guaranteed basically to get a tough matchup no matter where you are in the first round? I think it increases the importance, one, because of home court, two, because there is a chance if you have eight that something funky could happen and you end up with Minnesota or San Antonio or, uh, I mean, I want to say Sacramento, but they really prevent me from ever saying it with their actions. Sorry, DJ. No, that's fine. I know a better name one. I'm not, I'm not debating at all. It's, it's that organization through multiple owners, now multiple arenas has done some crazy stuff. And it is hard of, to dig a hole and stay in it the way they have. But they have. Speaking, speaking of general incompetence, um, did you guys see the note on the Knicks and their first-round draft pick? No. The, the last first-round draft pick that the Knicks signed to a second contract because they traded Kevin Knox yesterday is Charlie Ward. Oof. Jeez. Like 94, isn't it? That would be the right ballpark, yeah. Yeah. Going back to his Florida State quarterback days. Big time college the football last, player. Yeah, the last first round draft pick, the Knicks signed to a second contract won a Heisman Trophy. Bad. I know there was a coach who, who there who wanted to draft uh, Donovan Mitchell. That coach is no longer there. He used to play for the Jazz. <laughs> so when did you talk to Jeff recently? It was a while ago. You know what's really interesting is that there's 29 teams that now say they wanted to draft um, Donovan Mitchell. It's the same Draymond Green phenomenon. Like I, Draymond Green was better than Donovan Mitchell because at least Donovan went like in the top whatever. Draymond Green was the second-round draft pick that every single team passed on, including the Warriors twice, by the way. Like, if the Warriors, like, pump their chest about their Draymond Green pick and their owner tells us how he has the special sauce and is just smarter than everyone else, if you go back and look, they had, like, multiple late picks. I think they passed on Draymond Green twice in that draft before they took it. You know, it's funny you say that because one of the uh, – Scott Layden could be really dry and really – but, man, he went, he went nuts once when I was talking to him about that. He says, we get so much credit for drafting Stockton Malone. He says – if I knew what Stockton and Malone were going to turn into, I should be fired for not mortgaging the farm and trading up to get them. Yeah, I should have right. never sat there and let them fall to us. I mean, yeah, we picked them when they fell to us, but we didn't move up to go get them. We should have if we'd known they were going to turn into this. So, yeah. All right. All right. That's a great point. Great point. All right. I appreciate it, David. Thanks for joining us. And uh, we'll listen to you Sunday with the Jazz and the Nuggets. Well, that will be fun. And, BK, um, I'm a little hurt. Like, Why? I told you to call me, and I was going to help you with something, and you still wouldn't call me. 
You don't I tell mean, me I understand to... you don't call just to say hi. You call so you want tea time. Or you need something, and then you need something you didn't even call. You didn't tell me to call you. That's not true. Did I, I miss that? I on that little issue you were having. Call me. I must have missed that then, because I certainly would have. Yes, I would have. I, I'm totally, I'll go back and check. All right. Well, I blew up, but I'm available, so call me on that if you want Okay, gotcha. Never be afraid. This is a tip for everybody. Never be afraid to pick up the phone, call somebody, and start a conversation. You haven't talked to somebody in a while and say, hey, do you know why I'm calling? And they'll say no. And they'll say, because I need something. You will inevitably get a laugh. You will inevitably get a laugh. I've done it many times. Okay, okay. But when I've called locks, sometimes the need is for counsel. So that's out of respect. It's not, don't, I'm not saying give me money or do or something a, for me. Right. Yeah. No, I've called you him need several advice. times that I, I want his opinion because that's how high I value it. So let's broaden the definition of need here. You just want me. Oh wait, I didn't sound right. Never mind. Let's get out of the show. DJ and PK, he's David Locke. David, thanks for joining us, and we will talk with George Klyovkov and get to your point with him. Pac-12 commissioners coming up at 915 right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.